Okay. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We set our hearts to you. We, we desire understanding this, this season. We want to know the voice of the Lord and the word of the Lord for the hour. So God, I'm asking, would you begin to impress upon us what it is you're saying, what you're thinking, what's in your mind? As we look at this little, uh, these few verses here in Zephaniah. We want to be wise this time and this season. So Lord, would, would you release a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you, plans, things that are in your heart, what's in your mind. Let your spirit come, Holy Spirit come. Come, instruct us, be a teacher tonight. Teach us and comfort us, Holy Spirit. We open ourselves to all your working and manifestations. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. All right, Zephaniah chapter 2. I can't get rid of Zephaniah 2 right now. I'm, I've been chewing it and chewing it, and I just can't get rid of it. So I'm just going to start talking about it. I've talked about it some, and I'm just going to talk about it some more. And maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe it'll go deeper. Maybe the Lord will release me from it. But it's been about a month, and um, this verse won't go away from me here in chapter 2. Just to give you some background, Zephaniah is a prophet, uh, prophesied at the same time as Jeremiah. And he probably, not even probably, definitely, as, as I've looked at it, says more about something called the day of the Lord per word than any other prophet in the Old Testament. says more about the day of the Lord, you know, ver, you know, based on how much he actually said. He says more about the day of the Lord, it's like per capita, but that's not the word, per word than any other prophet. And so he's like, he would be like the lightweight champion in terms of prophetic scripture in the Old Testament. He prophesied the same time as, as Jeremiah. And um, he's calling the nation to uh, repentance. And the, the strange thing about it is he's doing it during the days of a king named Josiah. Any Josiahs in the room? There's always a Josiah or two in revival group people. My son, my second son's name is Josiah. We named him Josiah because Josiah has got one of the the greatest her, uh, heritages of revival in in the Bible. He, um, you know, he's a he's a king at a real young age, like six or eight or something like that. And then about the time he turns sixteen or eighteen, he has this encounter with the Lord, and he just starts like tearing down every idol worship uh, you know, place, all the high places get torn down, and, and he just goes on this wild, holy rampage, and uh, burning with the fire of God. And in and, and the revival that Josiah births, God relents for, for a whole, you know, several years there. It's like a generation almost. He relents from uh, the nation being exiled into Babylon. People don't really realize that, but God delays the Babylonian exile because of Josiah. He raises up a prophetess and she comes to him and she says, You've sought God. You've done right. God will delay. And because Josiah turned to the Lord. And immediately, 
After Josiah dies, the kings after him, they turn away from God again, and bam, they go into exile in Babylon. People don't realize that. So Zephaniah is prophesying the same time as Jeremiah. He's talking about this coming destruction. He's talking about, in a near way, the destruction of Babylon. But then he also uses terminology like, uh, the great day of the Lord. And the great day of the Lord, there have been many days of the Lord historically throughout history. Babylon is one of them. The Assyrian invasion is another one. But there's a great day of the Lord coming at the end of the age. And so he uses that terminology. You know, the, there's a lot of times it's called that day or the great day or the day of the Lord. But Zephaniah, he definitely is talking about the near side of the prophecy. There's a near far element to prof- prophetic scripture. They have near revelation where it gets fulfilled in a, in a generation or two or, or a year or two. And then it has far, a far fulfillment many times where it's got multi-levels, multiple levels to it. And it's for even another, another time. And many, many of the prophetic scriptures um, are that way. Most of them are that way. They're, they've got layers and layers. And Zephaniah is one of those prophets. And so then, here we are in Zephaniah 2. And I read this scripture a month ago, and I can't shake it. And I've been asking the Lord about it, and I've got some ideas. I'll, I'll just tell you this. I'm trying... To say something about wisdom tonight, I don't know if I'll even get there. Just a little thing that I'd mention. All my notes are on wisdom. Zephaniah 2 is not in the notes. So, bear with me. Zephaniah, woo! Back at you, woo! Alright. It's like a test scream, woo! Zephaniah 2. Think of verse 1. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, O undesirable nation. Before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. Interesting. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together. I was, I've, I've been chewing this for a little while. and, and it's the, I'll tell you what's interesting about this little group of scriptures. You know, when God says something, He means it. Isn't that right? And so if he's repetitive, it's because he's intentional. Isn't that correct? He doesn't go like, gather together. Did I already say that? Well, let me say it again. Gather together. I don't know if I... You know, he, he goes, if he says, gather together, yes, gather together. There's this divine emphasis because there's, there's an emphatic uh, passion in the heart of God to, to make it clear what his instruction is. I was just thinking about the way this is worded. It's repetitive. These three verses are extremely repetitive. They're dramatically repetitive. 
You can imagine if the Lord was saying it himself from his mouth. He goes, gather together. Everybody goes, like, wait, what's God saying? He wants us. He goes, yes, gather together. I'm going, huh. He's, in other words, he means it. Gather yourself. What is he saying? He's saying, get together and pray. That's really what he's saying. The, the, the bullet point is, get together and pray. For real. <laughs> and, he's, and he makes, he gives us the time frame when we ought to do it. Verse 2, he goes, before the decree is issued, or the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, look at the next phrase, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you. In my Bible, it says exclamation point. And I'm, I tell you what's just stirring in me is the, how the Lord, if, okay, we have the written word, but how would he be saying it if he was saying it to us? If it was, a, if it was conversational, you know? So you go, so Lord, what's on your mind? He goes, gather together. You go, what? He goes, yes, I said gather together. You go, really? He goes, before the decree is issued. You go, when? He goes, before the Lord's wrath. Before what? The day of the Lord's wrath before it. I mean, he's just like, mm, mm, mm. He's just emphasizing it so strongly. It's just, it's rattling my heart a bit because God will take little verses like these and the, the, he'll, he'll, he'll emphasize them to people and then all of a sudden, You'll show up and you'll go to some place and some guy will be preaching the same verse. And then you go somewhere else and they're saying the same thing again. And all of a sudden you hear the same thing over and over and over in all these different places. And you go, wait a minute. Maybe this is actually on the mind of the Lord. And so I was, I was just chewing. I've just been chewing Zephaniah. Well, we just came out of uh, this conference I mentioned earlier. And the whole time at the conference, they were in Joel. And they were focused on Joel 2. And I just, I just want to read you the focus of this conference. It was Joel 2, verse 11. And they started, they, they started in, in part B. And here's what he said. The day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord. There he is, saying it again. Turn to me. What? Fasting and weeping with mourning. Turn to me. It's emphasizing. Why? And he quotes Moses. He quotes what the Lord said to Moses. His name was, he says, because he is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger. He's of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. Look at verse 14. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? That verse 14, that who knows, is it's the same as Zephaniah 2 verse 3. It's the it may be that you'll be hidden. The who knows God might turn and leave a blessing. It's the same as verse 3 when he says, after you gather yourself together, before this decree is issued, he goes, after you get together and do this thing, he goes, perhaps it may be 
that you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. So I'm chewing on this and I'm going, what are you saying, Jesus? And I think what he's saying is gather together. I'm a little dim. But I think this is what he's saying. The best idea you can have right now, no matter who you are, where you are, where you live, what you do, the best idea you can have, not for a week, I'm saying for a life, for the rest of your life, the best thing I think God is saying, the best idea you can have is to get yourself in a place of seeking the Lord. Fasting and prayer and going after God. It's, I believe what he's saying, he's not trying to give us a thought for what's the new cool word for the week. What I think he's trying to do is he's trying to trumpet something to his church in an hour right now. That's an, I think he's trying to get his church to embrace a lifestyle of being gathered together and seeking the Lord. Because the language is sure. It's interesting how the Lord uses this very sure language, and then he goes, and perhaps, and then he uses the divine maybe. See, he goes, look at this, verse 2, he goes, before the decree is issued. You know what that says to me? There is a decree that will be issued definitely, guaranteed. He goes, before that decree is actually issued, it's a divine decree. The divine decree of judgment is what that is. He goes, before the divine decree is issued, he goes, get together in the place of fasting and prayer. And it's like we don't hear it the first time. And, oh, and then the next phrase, he gives us, he gives us uh, the idea of what that day might look like. It's a day that passes like chaff. You know what chaff is? Stuff that's been burned up. It's a, it's a day of fire. In fact, if you look at the previous five verses and Zephaniah 1, he gives like real thorough language about what the day of the Lord looks like. It's not a day of lollipops and roses. Verse 14 says, the great day of the Lord is near. It hastens quickly. It is near. And he goes through four or five verses right there and talks about the fire of God's jealousy burning. So he says, before the decree is issued, he goes, and before the day passes like chaff, he goes, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, he goes, if you didn't get it, with the little metaphor I gave you, that passing like chaff, he goes, since you didn't get that one, he goes, it's the day of the Lord's fierce anger. Because if you missed the previous five verses, and you missed my metaphor, he goes, there's a day that's decreed, it is for sure, and it's a day of the Lord's fierce anger. Isn't that amazing? There's a day of wrath actually coming. And I tell you, the church in the West, much of us, we just spend most of our time just acting like nothing's happening. I'm stuck. I'm stunned with this abortion issue. I'm stunned with it. And here's why. I can't believe I'm 34 and I've been in the ministry 13, 14 years now. And I can't believe I've done so little. I can't believe it. I can't believe my prayer life is so... uh, meaningless in that arena. I just can't believe I'm just like, I'm stunned with it. I'm like, oh my goodness. And I believe that the church in the West, we have got to wake up. 
We have got to wake up to the reality of the day and the hour in which we live. We have got to wake up to the sound of the voice of the Lord where He's saying, Listen, he goes, I want to be merciful. He goes, I am so kind. He goes, I'm so merciful. He goes, I really want to relent. He goes, but you've got to gather yourself together. You've got to seek the Lord. You've got to seek righteousness. You must pray. You must fast before it happens. See, because you know what we do? We wait till everything's blowing up. And we go, dear God, help. Proverbs 2 says this, wisdom, now think about this, wisdom is crying out in the streets. She's crying out. Proverbs 1 and 2 talks about it. She's crying out. She's saying to the simple, you know what she's saying to the simple? Turn. She's saying repent. Turn to God. And then it gets really mean at the end of the chapter because it says, in the day, listen to what it says. It says, ah, let's just turn over there. I'm sorry. It's almost, it almost sounds, I mean, it almost sounds like I'm making it up. Psalms, Proverbs. Look here. Look at uh, Proverbs 1, verse 20. Look at this. So we are going to get on to wisdom. We pray, you know, we pray for wisdom all the time, every day here. We pray, God, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. See, I'm not afraid of charging your hearts with the reality of the day of the Lord. I want to sustain your heart with intimacy and the reality that He loves you and He's kind. But I am not afraid of challenging your heart with it and charging your heart with this. We have got to have a godly reverence, and, it, and it's the foundation stone of wisdom. There's a sensuality that many promote, and what it is is this, that you can't say anything tough or mean. You can't say anything that's got a little, little ouch on it, because it's got to be a happy, uh, you know, joyful kind of upbeat kind of a thing. God says, you want to be wise? The beginning of wisdom is understanding how intense Hence, I really am having a reverence for my power and my might. It's the fear of the Lord. We have to have it. It's the beginning of wisdom. Anything less is foolishness. So look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. It says this. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. The opening of the gates in the city. She, she cries out in the most important strategic places. Wisdom is crying out. Verse 22, what is she saying? She speaks the words, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Look at verse 23. Turn at my rebuke and I will pour my spirit out on you. We're crying out for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We must turn our heart to the Lord in fasting and prayer. We must turn our heart to the Lord in a revelation of our weakness and our bareness. We must say, God, we don't got it at all, Lord. We need you. We need wisdom. Yes, we turn towards you, God. And wisdom goes, you know what? If you'll turn, if you'll recognize you're simple and you'll turn to me, I will pour upon you. Wisdom will be poured upon you. 
But look at this. She says, surely, verse 23, surely I'll pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. But because I have called and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. Look at verse 26, part B. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm. The Lord's been, I mean, it, it, there's been such a word about this com, a coming storm of judgment. I, I, just, it, I mean, it just stuns me that there it is. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when dis- this is really affecting me as I'm saying this because it's, it's just hitting me in a fresh way. When dispre- distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently. When? In the day of trouble, in the day of anguish, in the day of the Lord. People were going, oh God, we need wisdom. We need understanding to know what's happening. And wisdom goes, it's too late. And so God sounds an alarm. He puts sirens out. He puts these voices out. He does the Noah to people. And Noah, this, the Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. And Noah stands out there in the desert building a boat. It has never rained on the planet. He goes, it's going to rain. It's going to flood. Everybody's like, you are a freak. He goes, no, it's going to happen. I swear it's coming. The day is coming. And, he's, and the Lord lets him stay out there for a hundred years preaching like that. That's just rough. Hundred years saying the day of the Lord is at hand. The day of the Lord is coming. It is coming quickly. It's coming quickly. And there he is building a boat in the desert. That's why Luke 7, 25 says wisdom is it's vindicated by all of her children. Because you can you imagine when the rain started coming, everybody was when they got over the what is that? And all of a sudden, Noah's voice was echoing in the back of their mind. They were going, dear Lord, what is it? Could it be that that crazy man at the boat is for real? One of the most chilling scriptures in all the Bible says Noah and his family entered the ark and the Lord shut the door behind them. The God who is passionate desire and loves you so passionately with burning eyes of fire, that God wants to judge everything that would hinder love between you and Him. He wants to slay it and lay it to waste. And it's burning in His heart. And in fact, He says it this way in, a, in a Isaiah. He says this. Or no, 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 I'm sorry. Joel 3 says it this way. Uh, oh, I'm getting two scriptures mixed up. It's either Joel 3 or Isaiah 65. I'm sorry. But it says... The, the day of vengeance is in my heart. What's he saying? He goes, the day that I get to slay everything that's hindered love between my bride and I, he goes, oh, I can't wait for it. He's passionate. It's a great day, and it's a terrible day. So wisdom, it says this, turn to me. Turn. Turn your heart to God. Seek the Lord. Go after God with everything, fasting and prayer. Seek God intensely before the decree is issued. And because wisdom goes, because if you wait until everything starts falling around in the day of your terror, I will not answer. 
And I just, I just, oh, we need to hear this, church. We need to hear this now. I don't know when judgment's coming to America. I don't have a clue. But you know what? If it's 50 years, if it's 100 years, 150 years, we need to get our heads screwed on right now. I'm thinking about that tsunami, 123,000 dead. The thing was moving at a mile every uh, seven seconds. It was going a mile. A mile every seven seconds. That's 540 miles an hour. One earthquake. I mean, we have got to get our eyes on the Lord. There's so much that we've done in the West to validate the existence of the church in the name of ministry, and yet we've done very little fasting and and weeping and mourning. And I'm not not pointing a finger at anybody. I'm pointing a finger at myself. I mean, I'm including myself. We have got to get our heads screwed on straight. Turn back over to Zephaniah. Let the words, let the words of this just mess your heart up. Let, let them just go into your heart and simmer in there. I, I, I pray it, it just goes in there and just, just begins to, to, like leaven, just begin to take over your heart. Gather yourself together. Yes, get together, gather together before the decree is issued. I, I hear the voice of the Lord say, it's just like he's just going, I'm not, I'm not prophesying, I'm just saying it's just like the Lord's going, there is a decree, it's already written, judgment is sure, there's a decree in my mind, vengeance is in my heart, the decree is already issued. He goes, before it happens, gather yourself together. Before the day passes like chaff, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day the Lord's anger comes upon you. He uses this strange little admonition. Verse 3. And I, I tell you, my heart trembles because I go, God, how, help me to qualify for this. Help me to qualify for verse 3. Verse 3, he says, seek the Lord. And he talks to a specific group of people. He goes, all you meek of the earth. Seek the Lord. Meek is humble. All you people who are humble. He goes, I, I, I mean, you can almost hear, hear him saying, in kindness, I know you believe you're humble. And just, and just, I mean, God is so patient and kind with you. He goes, I know, okay, you would identify yourself as meek. He goes, I understand that. He goes, you're humble. Okay, that's fine. He goes, I'll tell you what, let me give you a hint. Seek me. He goes, for real, seek the Lord. And then, he, and then he repeats himself. But he goes, seek. This is this is a problem for me. I'm just I'm just wrestling over it. Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice. See, here's what I do. Let me just let's just let me just give you my personal thing. I go, well, yeah, I'm planning a house of prayer. We're day and night for justice. We're crying out for justice. I, I mean, I've preached this Luke 18 thing a bunch. Justice for the sick, healing. Justice for the demon possessed. It's deliverance. Justice for the oppressed, so they be set free. Justice for the lost, it's salvation. Justice in the city, it's revival. Let me just mention this. There is no social justice without Jesus. And then I just hear the Lord going, and what about justice for the unborn? I go, oh. 
uh-oh. I, I mean, my heart goes, oh, my goodness, wait a minute. I go, but wait, I, I'm, I'm directing a house of prayer, and we're, we're trying to go to it. He goes, justice, did you uphold my justice? My heart trembles before before the Lord on it. I go, ah. Uh, you know, I don't want that to be a question mark. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I mean, I'm like, I, I don't want this to be a question mark for me, Lord. I want this to be secure in my heart that when he says you're meek and you've upheld justice, I go, yeah, you know, I've done what I know to do, I think. He goes, by the way, okay, he goes, I know you think you're meek. He goes, you're praying, you're trying. He goes, I mean, the Lord, if the, the Lord doesn't ever err, but he always leans to kindness. He goes, you know, you, you've, you've spent a lot of time praying. You haven't prayed about the, 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 the millions that are dying in your nation. He goes, but now you will. So he goes, you'll, you'll get in. I go, I will. He goes, you've got to seek me. I go, yeah. He goes, you'll get in. It'll be all right because you've got, you've got time still. See, here's what we do. We get a good message, and we hear something that's got a little zip on it, and we walk out, and we go to the restaurant, and we go, that was a cool message. And wisdom is going, turn! Wisdom is going, eat the book. Eat the word. Let it become part of your life. Have a person that's a gathering, a, a, a lifestyle that's a gathering together and praying lifestyle. We've got to get past where we hear the message and it just isn't part of us anymore. We hear it and we walk away and go, man, wasn't so-and-so such a good preacher last week? We go, yeah, what are you preaching on? I don't know, but it was funny. That is crazy. Why do we conduct ourselves that way? Myself included. We've got to get to the place where when the voice of the Lord is being trumpeted and God is saying, turn. God is saying, the day the Lord is near. We go, it is. He goes, yeah, gather together. We go, for real? He goes, yes, gather together. We go, yes, sir. He goes, that's right. He goes, meek of the earth, you're upholding justice. You're crying for justice night and day. Here's an issue. Here's an issue. Cry out for these. We go, yes, God, we'll humble ourselves. Fasting, prayer, we'll cry out for justice. He goes, oh, by the way, you meek of the earth who are upholding justice, let me give you another tip. Seek righteousness. And seek humility. You know what I feel like he's saying? He goes, you know, the, the most humble amongst you is not as humble as he thinks. And the most righteous amongst you is not as righteous as he thinks. And he's talking to this group that's supposedly upholding justice. See, Luke 18, it talks about if you cry out night and day for justice, God will answer speedily. It's one of our little cornerstone scriptures. We go, we're, we're building a night and day house of prayer to cry out for justice. And he goes, that's right. He goes, I will answer speedily. When you meet the requirement of night and day crying out for justice, I will answer speedily. So he goes, you know what? I know you, you, you think it and it's okay. He goes, I'm kind. He goes, I'll let you in. He goes, you still have time. He goes, by the way, Seek righteousness and seek humility. He goes, make sure your hearts are rent before me. Seeking righteousness and rending your heart is the same thing. Ripping from your heart everything that hinders love. Seeking righteousness. It's, here's what righteousness is. A revelation of the beauty of God that causes you to live holy. Period. 
a revelation of how amazing and fascinating he is. And you go, you're better than everything. Jesus is better than everything. God, I'll do anything for you. He goes, that's right. Understand who I am and become like me. It's righteousness. I was, I was convicted last week. I'm just kind of telling you my thing here. You know, this, If this applies to you, good. I'm just kind of talking. I was convicted last week. I was convicted about um, how much I preached for years on what we needed to do instead of who he is. I thought about how often our instruction is what do you need to do and what will God do instead of who is he? It's resonating in my heart that if I don't have a picture of who he is, I will never understand what he's asking of me. If I don't have a picture of who he is, how, how can I even say yes to him? I, just, I, was, I was thinking about, when was the last time, I was just thinking about this, I was thinking, when was the last time I heard or preached a message on the eternity of God? And it's crazy because subjects like that sound so lofty. What's the first thing he is? He's forever. From everlasting to everlasting. The eternity of God. Have you considered that? See, and the beauty of God. I, I was thinking about how just, you know, just a few months ago, several months ago, that that sounded so strange to my ears. The beauty of God. The beauty of God. That sounded so strange. He goes, it's who I am. I'm beautiful. I'm amazing. I go, oh, I must know that. But how most of our instruction is about what we should do and what God will do. And very little of it is about who he is. Paul said the goal of our instruction is that Christ would be formed in you. How do we get this man formed in us if we don't know who he is? Wow. So then he goes this. He goes, you guys who identify yourself as meek. He goes, I don't think you're as meek as you think you are. He goes, but I'm kind. It's okay. Seek righteousness and seek meekness. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. And it may be. It may be that you'll be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. It may be. Notice the language. He's talking to the meek who have been seeking the Lord, who have been upholding justice. And he doesn't say, it may be that I will take you out of there before anything bad happens. He says, it may be that you'll be hidden. And it doesn't, he's not saying it may be because it's a question in the mind of God. It's certain in the mind of God. The question is the response of the meek of the earth. So, just give you a minute on wisdom and we'll probably pick up there next week. But I'm really happy tonight. This is awfully somber and so- solemn. It's just fine. I'm actually really happy I'm not mad at anybody. But with new vigor, my heart says yes to the calling to night and day prayer. I'm saying with, with new uh, fervor, I say yes, God. Yes, God. I will, I will lay aside everything else because I truly believe it is the most wise thing to do. See, let me just mention a few things about wisdom. 
I was meditating on wisdom. I was just thinking about as a young man in the Lord, and when people say, I'm gonna, the guy would get up and go, I'm going to preach on wisdom, and I'd go kind of like, huh, wisdom, huh. You know, just like, I don't really like that. It's like it's going to be boring. It's going to be like whatever. And I, and I think it's because I don't understand wisdom, or I haven't understood wisdom. See, wisdom, let me just say this clearly, wisdom and caution are not the same thing. I always thought when the guy would say, I'm going to preach on wisdom, it meant he's going to try to kill all my fun in the Lord. He's going to try to cap me and make me, you know, chill. And it's going to be, you know, you need to live cautiously. Wisdom is not caution. See, if wisdom is founded on the fear of the Lord, then at the very core uh, foundation, cornerstone of wisdom is this. I fear you. I reverence you. I know you love me, but I know you're great. I'll do anything. That's wisdom. So, wisdom may instruct you to be cautious, but it may instruct you to be aggressive. So it's not about just being cautionary. And wisdom is not simply common sense. Wisdom is not common sense. It's authored in heaven. And it's dripping with the fear of the Lord. That's not common sense. Because you know to tie your shoe when it gets undone, that doesn't mean you've got God-authored wisdom. Do you know what I'm saying? But a lot of times we take what is you know, common sense, natural, earthly common sense, and we go, that's wisdom, brother. Well, the Bible says the opposite. James actually said it's, it's the exact opposite of that. James 3 says it like this. He goes, who's wise, who's understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct. That his works are done in the meekness or in the humility of wisdom. But watch this. Verse 14 says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. He goes, Envy, self-seeking, boasting, it's lies. He goes, That is wisdom, but it doesn't descend from above. He goes, This wisdom does not descend from above. It is, And then he describes demonic wisdom. He goes, It's earthly and natural. And I just started, I just, it, just, it just started rocking my heart because I was going, earthly, he, and, and, and the King, New King James is central, uh, the, uh, the New, New American Standard uses earthly and natural or earthly and worldly. The point is, it's natural thought processes is the point. He goes, it's demonic, by the way. I was going, oh my goodness. And I think a lot of what we've called wisdom is not wisdom at all. It's common sense, and in some situations, common sense is good. In some situations, common sense is exactly opposite of what God says. It's not wisdom at all. It's foolishness. In fact, God describes his, his wisdom in 1 Corinthians. First two chapters of 1 Corinthians and some chapter 3, he's describing wisdom. Wisdom is exactly the opposite of what the world says, and not even the world, about what natural common sense says. And he describes the wise of the world. What he's talking about, he's not talking about the carnal guy that's just all full of carnality. He goes, the guy that's got natural earthly wisdom, he goes, he has to become foolish for him to even be able to embrace the wisdom of God. And the way that God sets it up is like just this divine paradox. He goes, my wisdom will be so dumb to wise people. He goes, and, and, and he says it, he goes, I love the foolishness of the message of the cross. God calls it foolishness. 
calls his own message of the cross foolishness. And, he, and, he, and, he, and he, you can hear the Lord just like rejoicing in it. Wisdom is an endowment from God. If it's wisdom, it's from God. See, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. For you to connect to wisdom, you've got to connect to the heart of the Lord. The, the only one wise is God. There's no one wise apart from God. Because you've got good common sense doesn't mean you've got godly wisdom. And wisdom is established on the fear of the Lord. And the sustainer of wisdom is humility. Here's what it boils down to. Unless we have godly wisdom at the end of the day, what we are as little guys that think we're big guys that have got no clue. Unless we have godly wisdom, a, a God endowment of wisdom. And I'm telling you, this is not the conventional wisdom of the hour, but it's the wisdom of God. And it says this, gather yourself together. Gather together before the day of the Lord's anger and his wrath. He goes, find yourself in a place seeking God with all your heart. It's, it's Joel 2. He goes, fasting and weeping and mourning. He goes, there's a day that's decreed. It is for sure. It's not conventional wisdom, but I'm telling you, it's the wisdom of the Lord. He goes, if you'll, if you'll put yourself in that place, he goes, there's a, there's a blessing I want to leave instead of judgment. All right, one last little thing, and then we'll, we'll close. Turn to, turn to Matthew 25. Let's just look at this little story real quick, and we'll, and we'll close. Are you guys okay still? So I think we'll just continue on this topic of wisdom for a few weeks. I believe the wisest thing you can do right now is find yourself in a place of fasting and prayer. It's the wisest thing you can do. And we're here, we're just doing this little baby thing, and we're just so, we're weak, we're so weak with it. And we're just trying, and God's going, oh, I appreciate your effort, good try. It doesn't sound like it, it sounds up here, but no problem, good try, I love it. And we go, thanks. And he goes, yeah, just keep going. And we go, oh, I'm trying. And he goes, yeah, you, you need to tweak a few things. He goes, there's a justice issue that you're missing. And I go, oh, he goes, yeah, it's okay, don't worry. And I just, you know, in kindness, the Lord reveals things. And, I, and I've been asking, see, I, see, most of the time we operate in self-condemnation more than we operate in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Because we list out all of our ten problems. And I goes, I know all of those, and I'm not even interested. And half of them are not even real. The other half I'm not even talking to you about. He goes, the, the one that's the big issue, I'm hiding from you. You have no idea what it is. Because if I did show you, it would crush you. So I'm going like, God, like, so what else are we really missing? He goes, ah, do, do this one first. He goes, don't worry about all the other 50,000. Wait, wait, wait. He goes, Maybe hopefully, hopefully not that many. I go, is it one of these? He goes, I'm not even interested in those 10. You made up seven of them. I go, for real? He goes, yeah, it's not even an issue. I go, oh, he goes, deal with the one I'm talking to you about. I go, okay. If God revealed to you all your problems at once, for real, you would choke. So most of the time we operate in our self-condemnation. It's not the conviction of the Holy Spirit at all. He's kind. He's so kind. He's so kind. He, he, like, he just tenderly goes, yeah, you need to deal with that one. 
are you oh my goodness he goes yeah deal with it and then we go oh i'm so bad i didn't deal with it he goes it's not the issue just deal with it goes, but i gotta beat myself he goes no i'm showing you now to take care of it just take care of it and we go but i've got to earn your love because the point is my son died for your dumbness if you will just repent you'll be okay he just he just so like that he's very kind all right so last thing matthew 25 Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins. I'm going to hit this real quick. I'll probably come back and hit it again next week or something. Should be likened to ten virgins who took lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise. Five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should, should not be enough for us and for you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. The door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. I want to make a few points, and, I'm, and we'll close. People, people liken this parable all sorts of different ways. I want to give you my perspective. Number one is this. All ten of them were virgins. I don't think it's a, it's a uh, commentary on the saved versus the unsaved. All ten were virgins. All ten had lamps. All ten actually had oil and fire. And they were all looking for the bridegroom. So it's pretty good, it's pretty good evidence that they were probably all Christians. They all slumbered and slept. Every one of them fell asleep at some point. The wise and the foolish. So it's not about, well, you guys are better. (laughs) No, everybody fell asleep. And then they all actually trimmed their lamps. That means even the wise and the foolish actually had enough to turn their lamp on. And the foolish ones simply said, we don't have enough to sustain us. Our fire is going out. Could you give? And they said, if we do that, we won't have enough for ourselves. The different, what differentiates the wise and the foolish is simply this. The wise brought some oil with them. There was a, an, a little, they recognized they might need a little extra supply. And so they brought it. And that, that's all that differentiates the wise from the foolish. And the key thing is this, that little bit of extra oil is what made them ready. In verse 10 he says, though, instead of calling them the wise then, he calls them those who were ready when the bridegroom came. 
Somehow they'd heard wisdom crying out. Somehow they'd found themselves in a place of intimacy with God. And their lamps had, they had a little more to sustain their hearts. And the fire kept burning in them. And that's what made them ready. And, and really the only, the only point I'm going to make right now is this. Yes, Jesus says to the other versions, I don't know you. The point I want to make is his admonition after he tells the story of the foolish and the wise uh, virgins is this. His immediate admonition is, therefore, pray. Watch and pray. The, the, the moral of the story is, church, pray. That's it. The moral of the story is not, start pointing out everybody that's foolish. So many want to do that. They want to go, oh, they're not and we are and blah, blah, blah. No. It's not the point. It's so not the point. He goes, you want to be wise? Pray. Period. And that's the point he's driving home. And I'm convinced, we talked about the house of the watchful and the wise. The house of the watchful and the wise isn't IHOP. It's a global prayer movement. The house of the watchful and the wise is being found in the place of prayer with enough oil in your lamp when the bridegroom's coming. That's what the house of the watchful and the wise is. So Jesus' strong and firm admonishment is, you can hear him saying, you want wisdom? Here's wisdom. Pray, pray, and have your oil full of lamp in the season that the bridegroom's coming. Amen. Let's stand. We need a spirit of wisdom. You can't just decide to be wise. You either heed the voice of wisdom crying out and you say, I will turn, and then wisdom is poured on you, or you don't have it. I'm looking forward to this bridegroom faster the next few days. And I'm really looking forward to our few-day solemn assembly. Good. So you ready? So let's, let's go ahead. So let's pray. Father, we love you. Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of wisdom, come. Revelation, come. Wisdom is not simply knowing the hour. All of the virgins understood the hour. Wisdom is positioning your heart properly at the end of the age. So God, we, we admit right now, we are bankrupt in this area. And we agree with you that your wisdom is far superior than any wisdom of this world, in this world. And we agree with you that wisdom is the principal thing. Lord, we want our hearts to comprehend 
what it means to be wise in humility at the end of the age. James 3.13 reality that we be wise in humility with good deeds in accordance with godly wisdom. Jesus, let's just turn our heart to the Lord for a moment. Jesus, I pray we'd embrace lifestyles of gathering together, calling sacred assemblies, fasting and prayer. Not just events, not just once a year, but God, a lifestyle. Joel 2 lifestyle. Zephaniah 2 lifestyle. God, that we would, we would stumble into godly wisdom. In humility, God, we just say we realize we don't have it. We don't know. But God, we want to put ourselves before you and ask. We hear wisdom crying out, God, and we want to say yes. We want to say yes. In this serious hour in which we live, God, we want to say yes. Lord, we know your kindness. We know your goodness. We know your burning love. But even so, we understand the day of vengeance is in your heart. You long for the day when you'll separate everything that hinders love. You'll sift it like wheat and chaff. You'll sift it. Your your heart longs for that day. God, that we'd find ourselves in the place of the watchful and the wise. Watching and praying in wisdom. Give us the spirit of wisdom, God, at the end of the age. Give us the spirit of wisdom, true wisdom, God. Not emotionalism, not common sense. Something that would abide on us and cause us to make the choice to have oil in our vessels. Oil in our vessels, God. It's the deciding factor. It's the deciding factor for the church at the end of the age, beloved. Will you have oil in your vessel? Will the Son of Man really find faith? I want to just give an opportunity on a couple levels. Perhaps your heart's away from the Lord. You just need to get right with God. You can come. Perhaps you want to give yourself again fresh, fresh to the Lord. Perhaps you want to give yourself again to the 
prayer and fasting and seeking God. Perhaps you'd say, I realize I don't have a spirit of wisdom, but I desire that. In humility, you say, God, I want to put myself in the way of that. If any of those things fit, just come to the front. I'd like to pray for you at some, some level. Just get before the Lord. Let's, let's heed the voice of wisdom crying in the street, saying, Turn! Turn! Wisdom's crying out in the streets. It says, Turn! With all your heart. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you.